and I'm thankful for that. We're going to do some a little bit of reading today, I believe, but I want to, uh, I feel the Lord is talking to me about uh, His church. If you're a part of His church, say amen. If you know how you got here, say amen. If you don't know how you got here, say amen. <coughs> the Lord chooses people. He calls people. You know that? And he orchestrates people's lives, the details of people's lives. At the, in, at the individual level, me, personally, I guess I would say or think of it in the terms of I was born into the church in, in one sense that both of my parents were uh, Holy Ghost filled uh, Christians. They, uh, they met each other Bible quizzing. That's a, a little, I say little, it's a sport where I come from. It is a, it is a healthy competition, has been even when when my parents were young, ch- children in teenage years, uh, they would study scripture, they would all be given the same passages of scriptures to study over and memorize, and then they would get in teams, and uh, they'd be asked questions about the verses that they learned. And, I mean, you'd have to hit the buzzer. You'd have to be the first one. And you say it right, you get points. You say it wrong, you lose points. And uh, it's a game. It's a competition. And, uh, but that's how my parents met each other, was at a Bible quizzing tournament. And so uh, being the, the child born from parents that met at a Bible quizzing tournament, you kind of know you were born into some things, into a church, into a, a belief system. So I know that the Lord, you know, that's when I say, how did you get here? Or, Do you know how you got here? That's kind of the long way of me saying, I know that's how I know how I got here. And I, they raised me and taught me, you know, this is the scripture. This is what we do. We, this is who we are. And um, it's what's expected. And uh, so to me, it's normal. To, I know that not everybody has a, a similar story as that. But if you think about how, how you got here, and I don't mean here in this building, but how you got to this point in your life where you can say, I am a member of the church. I am a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a part of his body. He chose me. He put me here. He gave me his spirit. He gave me his word. And all, he's done all of these great things. And man, if we wanted to, we could just testify a little bit about how good he's been to us. But, but that's how we get into the church. And it's so interesting how over 2,000 years later, we see it. And we, we now, we, in the car, we drive past the building and we can say, 
that one looks like a church. It's got some characteristics, and we call that a church. It's got the steeple. You know, it's got the parking lot. It's got the sign out front, the whatever it is. But we say that there's some distinguishing characteristics of that building. And I know we kind of use the term, and we get our terminologies a little bit mixed up because we think that's the church. And really, it's, it's the gathering place of a group of people. And the group of people are the church. The church is the called out ones. That's you and that's me. But there's not just one or two of these buildings around anymore, is there? There's, I mean, I, I, I should have looked up the statistics, but even just here in Union Gap, there's church, there's church, there's church. And then you go out to Yakima, man, hundred times more churches. And then you go out to Yakima County and a thousand times more. There's church buildings all over. And if you went to each one, I'm sure you'd hear some fascinating stories and details about the history of how that group of people came to be and how God chose them and put them there. And they all, you know, if it's people, every person has a story. Every person has a, a background and has things in their life. And, you know, when I was this year, when I was this age, my parents did this and we moved here or we went there and we got here and, you know, if we were a child or if you're an adult, it's, you know, you know, I, in my older years, I learned and I realized and God changed. And, and so God changed me, I mean. And so you, you, uh, you start to realize, okay, it's an individual thing. It's a, it's a story of a person. And then that person is sitting next to another person that has a story. And they're in a group, a room collectively. I mean, if you just look around the room today, a lot of you know each other. A lot of you have seen and met each other and spent even some of you many years together enough to know, well, I can even tell you how Brother Escobar got into the church. I can tell you how Brother Woods got into the church. I can tell you how Brother Collier got into the church. I can tell you because I know these men, and I know the story, and their families, the, the, the marriages, the wives, the children, and, and all of this, and we think, okay, so that, that makes it a legitimate church. That makes it a, a group of people that we know God called and chose and put here. I, what I feel the Lord is telling me about and just want, wants to show us some today is how he births a church. <coughs> As I was studying through this and just looking through some of these uh, notes and making some, some notes. Uh, had I thought what I knew I was going to try to say today, and I go into the prayer room before church, which is also our Sunday school class, and there's some notes uh, from some past classes. I don't know, maybe Sister Kayla, Sister Linda, one of them might have even written it down, but there's a, uh, there's a circled thing, and it says Acts 2, the birth of the church. And that, we, we point to that because we say, before Acts chapter 2, there wasn't the church as we know it. There wasn't, uh, you know, a group of people here doing this and a group of people over there doing that. And they gather here and they got, you know, we, we knew Jesus, obviously. He had already lived and died and ascended and rose to heaven before the events that took place that we read about in Acts chapter 2. So he, he had his disciples. He had a following. You know, I don't know that he would get on a group text and say, hey, Saturday morning, 7 o'clock, men, we're going to meet over here. 
but, but he had a following, he, and he would even have a, a, a large gathering at times, or large, small, medium. You know, he would meet with different people at different times, but we wouldn't say, well, that's the church. You know, the Sermon on the Mount that he, when he spoke and he had the people around, we wouldn't say, oh, that was a great church service. No, we just think that's Jesus doing what he did. But remember, as he calls his disciples and he tells them, as he calls them to him before he's about to ascend, to ascend into heaven, he tells them, you know, go and tarry in Jerusalem and wait until you receive the power from on high. And then it starts to get to what we call the history of the first church. The early church, sometimes we call it that. But we point at Acts chapter 2 and say, the spirit of these men, these women, they were there in the upper room. The Holy Ghost fell on them. They began to speak with other tongues. And God really was pouring out his spirit. He was fulfilling the promise of pouring out his spirit. It's a term, that's a church term that we use, pouring out his spirit. He was filling people with his spirit. He came to them in a new way, in a different way. And, and you, you know the story. They're in Jerusalem, and people are hearing other tongues. They're hearing their native tongue, their language, and saying, how are these different people speaking with these different languages? You know, I'm from here, and I hear him, and he's speaking my language where they speak back home, and I know he's never been there. And she's doing that for his group, and they've never been there. She's never gone to that land. But we, how, how do we hear these speaking? And, and the, you know, the, the events just unfold one after the other. And then Peter, he gets up and he preaches. So definitely it's a legitimate church because there's a preacher now, right? But he goes, he's preaching and he's, he's saying to them, you know, this is how it happened. And this is that which the prophet says was going to happen. And now we're seeing it all play out. And then the Lord added to the church. And then he continued to add to the church. And we see a, a, a method, if I can use it, if I can use that term. We see a, 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 a pattern of how God is adding people to the church. Everybody say, the church. I'm not going to take the time to go through this story, but you might remember. Now, I'm, I'm gonna, I like how this, I didn't plan this, but I like how this links in my brain to Bible quizzing, where I started. Because I remember when I was just, I don't know, seven, eight years old, there was a year that we studied Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. That, th those were the chapters that we studied, and we, we, we were quizzed over those. Now, to me, the seven or eight-year-old, it's just a book really, and words that I have to memorize so that I can get all the points that I can get. I try to be the top quizzer. And I, 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 I'm not trying to speak ill of that. You, I, obviously, we have to teach our children the word of God. And even David, he says, I've hidden the word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, there's never a bad time to read or study the word of God. Okay? And if you have children, there's never a bad time for you to quiz your children about what they know about the Word of God. Okay? So don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I, I was thinking of it in terms of 
kind of like math, English, science. You know, I've got these textbooks that I go to school with, and I learn different things from different ones. Well, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I, I've got these different books, and I'm just learning different things. But just for the sake of time, think about one of those books, Philippians. You know, if you've he heard this story or maybe you've read it, that Philipp the Philippians were a group of people. They lived in a, in a uh, town called Philippi. So, in, so apostles go through the town of Philippi. There is nothing that we would call a church in that town. But now there are men of God sent into that town. And you know, when you're really, when you're really the man or woman of God you're supposed to be, everywhere you go, there's a church. Because it's you. You're the church. You are the temple of his spirit. So you walk into a town where you think there's no building with distinguishing, you know, marks, and then you, oh, well, there is a temple here because it's me. And so the, the apostles go and the Lord starts to unfold these events. Maybe you know the story of Lydia, where they meet this woman. Maybe you know the story of the Philippian jailer, where they're these apostles are thrown into jail, and now there's a jailer. He's definitely, we wouldn't call him a church member, but he's charged with watching the apostles, and the, apost the Lord decides, no, I don't need these guys in jail. I need them out of jail, so let me do some things and get them out of jail. So the Lord does it, frees them, and all of a sudden the jailer is really, he's thrust into the middle of the story of the Philippian church because he thinks they're going to kill me. Once they see that my prisoners got out and got free, and he actually decides, I'm not even going to let them kill me, I'm just going to do it myself. Takes out his sword, and thank the Lord, the apostles see this and say, no, 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 hey, hey, we're right here. You don't have to harm yourself. You know, we're, we're not here to get you in trouble. We're not trying to bring any harm. In fact, let us tell you a little bit about who we are and how we got here and how we got loosed of this situation. And so you see they're just having this conversation with the man. And before you know it, what they share in conversation really is or leads to what you might call the birth of the church in Philippi because as the conversation progresses, the man sees his need for what they have and what they're telling him about. And he says, I'm going to take you to my house right now. I got to hear more. I got to learn more. I need to know more. And I also know that I need to respond to the words that you're telling me. I need to get baptized. Take me somewhere and baptize me. And, he, and they do. And the, it's at his house. And he's got family, friends. And they see. And they hear. And they know. And they respond. I need to do that. I need to get baptized. And they, they get baptized. And then, the, the, wh what do the apostles do next? Oh, it's getting time, you know, time for dinner. All right, thanks. You know, we got to move on. Oh, okay, they, this was all great and good. But the Lord's calling me over here to the next town. And so, 
So does that mean, what does that mean? Did they just not fulfill, fulfill their calling? Did they, do, are they supposed to stick or act? Can you just imagine? I mean, we, see, we know the pattern now, but imagine you're in the middle of it, and you're one of those apostles, or maybe you're just, maybe you're just somebody that, that's part of their entourage. And so you get to, you, you see and you know, oh, yeah, this is just like what happened at the other town, and this story is a lot like that one, and these people are getting baptized just like they did. They're receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost just like they did. What, what are we going to do next? Well, next we're going to go to the next town and see what the Lord does there. Okay, so what about these people? And you see in the, in the Scripture there's a pattern where the Lord would raise up leaders. Oftentimes, in the writing of Paul, he even tell, he, you can see where he says, appoint elders, appoint people, men, women, over the work of the church in this city. So there's a birth of a church in a city. That's the pattern. Now, I don't want to talk any more about Philippians. I just, that's an example. But if you look, and, and you know, if you're a kid and you studied Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and you know, okay, Philipp, Philippi has a story. And another one of those is Galatians, okay? The town of Galatia has a story. Another one of those is Ephesians in the town of Ephesus. Ephesus has a story. Colossians. That's in a town called Colossia. That town has a story. Thessalonians. That's another town called Thessalonica, and that town has a story. The Lord would go and he would birth a church in each town. What he did for Ephesus was different than what he did in Philippi, but, you know, the result's the same because he's birthing a church. What he did in Galatia was different than what he did in Ephesus. Because the but the results are the same. <coughs> Look at Acts chapter seventeen. If you just look at the book of Acts, you see, as Acts is cut. Once you get past like chapter two, chapter three, and all that, you know, there's a lot more chapters than than three chapters in the book of Acts. But it turns into the story. <laughs> you, you might have ever you, it's funny, Brother Hart got us into the literature class when he opened the service I'll, I'll mention another one the Gulliver's Travels, maybe you've heard that well, Acts is kind of like Paul's Travels Pauliver's Travels but it is because it talks about him going here and doing this and then going here and doing this and not just Paul and the others that were around him and Luke who wrote the book of Acts was there with him and he's recording and here's what we see taking place. Now just let me read a couple of verses here in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read this different translation. Hopefully it's a little easier to listen to and follow along. I'm going to start at Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Paul and Silas traveled on through Amphipolis and Ap Apollonia. Now, try to be a seven-year-old and say those in a microphone with a crowd of people around. And you got to say it right or you get the question wrong. That's a sidebar. 
where there was a synagogue. They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue. They're just traveling. Remember Paul's travels. They get to a city called Thessalonica where there's a synagogue. According to his usual habit, Paul went to the synagogue. According, this is what Paul does. When he gets to a town and he sees there's a synagogue, he knows, okay, there's, there's probably some people there that like the Lord, that want to know the Lord. That's who I want to be with. That's who I want to spend some time with and get to talk with. So it's his normal habit. He went to the synagogue. Three there, during three Sabbaths, he held discussions with the people. Okay, now we get to put a little bit of a timeline to this. How many weeks is three Sabbaths? Three weeks, right? There's a Sabbath, then there's six days, then there's another Sabbath, then there's six more days and another Three weeks, okay? That's how long Paul was doing this in Thessalonica for three weeks. He held discussions with the people, quoting verse 3 and explaining the scriptures and proving them, proving from them that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from death. This Jesus whom I announce to you, Paul said, is the Messiah. Let me read this verse 3 in King James Version, what you see. This is not too complicated, right? We're just seeing how Paul went about his business when he goes into a town. Opening and alleging. <laughs> Those are some words that will get you in trouble in 2020, 2021. Alleging. Oh, he's just alleging. Well, King James. But what he really says, he's explaining. He's telling why, telling how. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. He's telling them about Jesus, who he was, what he did, the fact that he was born and then he, you know, went through his life and then he died on a cross for our sins. He had to suffer and then he rose again. Now, I really like the fact that especially in this day, there were people who had never heard the idea of a man rising from the dead. We know it now, and it's, we, know, we know examples and stories, and it's you know, pretty common for us to hear, oh yeah, he rose from the dead. But Paul gets to go into a new town, into a synagogue where they're just reading scrolls and scriptures of Old Testament stuff, and he says, let me tell you about this one guy... I know you've never met him. Maybe you've heard about him. I don't know. Word travels sometimes, word of mouth. But let me tell you, because I know, and I'm friends with, and I hung out with, and I've seen, and I've even talked to him. I've heard his voice. Let me tell you about this guy. He died, and he was put into a tomb, but three days after, he wasn't in the tomb anymore. Really? What happened? He got up. What do you mean he got up? I mean, he rose. He opened his eyes. He sat up, stood up. And where there was that 
big rock that was covering the tomb, it wasn't even there anymore. How was, you mean somebody moved? Yeah, an angel moved it. Okay, this guy's getting pretty far out there. Uh, you're telling me that the guy died. Yes, he died. You're telling me that he rose from the dead. Yes, he rose from the dead. You're telling me that he walked out of the grave and the, the stone wasn't even... Yes, that's exactly right. You're getting what I'm telling you. And then you know what? He went back to the people that he was living with, his friends, his relatives, those that knew him. He showed himself to them and said, look, it's me. I'm back. I got to hear this. What happened next? Well, then he goes on to explain to them his work here on earth is now done. And now they have a job to do. They're picking up where he left off. Oh, Sue, so like he, you, okay. So you're telling me he got to retire early and sail off to some pretty island, and now he's just, no. He went up into heaven. What? He went up into heaven. Like his feet were on the ground, and then all of a sudden, they weren't anymore. And his body's going up, 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 up. Was it just you there? Were you the only one that saw this? Uh-uh. I wasn't even there. I've heard multiple witnesses all tell the same thing. And then, you know what? As he's going up, angels are coming down. It's like a holy elevator or something. Now, the beautiful thing to me is Paul got to do this in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Thessalonica, in Philippi. He got to, everywhere he went, let me tell you this story about this guy. And <laughs> I can just imagine Luke and whoever else is, well, he's about to get to the good part. I'm going to watch for their reactions. People love to hear this story. Opening and alleging that Christ must have needs suffered and risen again from the dead. And that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Everybody say, is Christ. Is Christ. So in case they were wondering, where is he going with this story about this guy that can, you know, fly? <laughs> Where's he... He was Christ. That meant a lot to these people in the synagogue, this group, this crowd that Paul would go and find and share because they know, even just from their weekly gatherings of reading the Old Testament, they know if there ever is this guy called Christ or Messiah, uh, we should know him. We need to know him. We actually need to be looking for him. We need to meet him. He's going to do for us what nobody else can do. Paul says that was him. And then I can just imagine all the air gets sucked out of the room just like it is right now. 
and people are looking at each other, kids looking at dads. Do you believe that? Verse 4. And some of them believed. Some of them believed. say Say it with me. Some of them believed. What, ha- what, what is that? What's the, what's the significance of that? God starts birthing a church through belief in the heart of an individual. I heard it. I felt it. I believe it. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few. Three weeks. It's like a three-part lesson, I can imagine. And at the end of three weeks, this is the result. Some believed, not a few, Some of them were convinced and joined Paul and Silas. So did many of the leading women and a large group of Greeks who worshipped God. Now, so what do we have? We have a group of believers. We call that a church. We have a group of, all right. Now we got a pastor? Yes, Paul. And then, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. But now they've got this group. They've got the believers. And then those that were in the synagogue who did not believe decided, we don't like what's going on here. Three weeks is the limit. Cutting it off. We're not going to bring him back for week number four of the revival. just a picture of. We've let this go on long enough. We're losing people. All because this guy came in out from who knows where, started telling this story about who knows what, but people are believing. There is a birth taking place. Let me just give you this side note real fast. I felt like the Lord had me write this down to share. Because if we we don't have the right mindset, if we don't see this clearly, especially if you start to feel like, God, man, he's got a plan for your life and he can use you. He's got a ministry for you. A lot of times that translates into go start a church. Go start a church. You got the blessing. Come on, just go on. Find a place that doesn't have one. 
and start one. Now, do you really think that Paul and Silas and the rest of them had a map and they're looking at the cities and the towns and thinking, oh, yeah, there's, there's one right here. Circle that. There does, I know there's not a church there. Let's go there tomorrow. Mm-mm, nope. The Lord said, go. Sometimes the Lord said, go and keep going. Keep going a little further. You're not there yet. Stop. Now you're there. That's following the Holy Ghost, okay? That is letting the Lord tell. There's a, there is nothing remotely similar between that and looking for a place that doesn't have a church so they can go start one. Now what happens? Sometimes the Lord would take them and say, all right, you go, you go, stop right there. I'm going to use you right here. Wait, there's already a church here. You just do what you do. You go and you have your discussions. You go and you tell them what you know about me. Let me take care of the rest. They go into a place called Ephesus. Don't get too comfortable. They go into a place called Ephesus. Ephesus is on the map. Ephesus is on the map because of its temple. A huge temple to a goddess named Diana. Okay, Lord, <laughs> we're just going to keep walking past here. They already got their stuff set up. Nope, you stop right there. Right here? Right in the middle of Ephesus. Now you start telling them about me, the magic guy that raises from the dead and floats up in the air. Really? Here? Yeah, right here. And he starts to tell them. Tell them about Jesus. He starts to get people believing. And now people start to know that is the one true God. And then they're looking at him in this little tent and this little group of people that just came in from who knows where and thinking they have the power of God. And look at that huge temple that we have. I've lived here my whole life. I've never felt in 35 years going into the temple, living around the temple, seeing the sun shine on the temple just right. It's so pretty. I've never felt what I hear this guy in a tent saying about a man that I've never met. He has the truth. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to listen to him. Many believe and the Lord births a church. Now, of course, there are those who say, this is not going to go good. I mean, in our town. Paul talks about a guy, Demetrius, I think is his name. He's a goldsmith, blacksmith. He gets his living making shrines, little miniature temples of the temple of the goddess Diana. And he's, he hears what's happening. He picks up what's going on. And he's starting to realize the people are listening to this guy. They're believing what he's saying. They're not going to be wanting to buy my temples anymore. I'm going to be out of a job. And he goes to the other. I, I, 
Imagine the farmer's market, the flea market, where it's everybody making everything, and you know, you got the one that, that blows the glass over here, and it's a nice picture of the temple, and you got the one that, that makes stuff out of rock over here, and it's a nice carving of the temple, and then you got the nice metal temple. He gets them all together. Yeah. This is not going to go well for us if we let this guy keep doing what he's doing. We're losing customers. What are your numbers like? Yeah, they've been going down ever since. We got to get this guy out of here. And that's what happens. They cause a riot. Get him out. Do you think this is the first time Paul's ever been thrown out of a place? <laughs> no, I think Paul's probably thinking, all right, Lord, any time now, I think my job here is done. You're right, Paul, let's scoot on over. I got another place for you to go to. But every place he goes, many believed. And they have a group of believers. We call that a church. The Lord birthed another church. Now, here's where I'm going with that. The difference in the birthing of the church as we've been hearing it described versus the idea and concept of go and start a church. I don't want to start anything if the Lord's not going to birth it. And here is the, here's, the, here's how you know. Who does the birthing? Look at the natural who does the birthing. The parents. The, well, I like this term, originators. So I'm supposed to look at a map, find a place where there's no church, go there, and, and, and start something. Yeah, so it kind of sounds like I'm the originator. Yeah. You better hope people don't start getting birthed by you because you know what that is that's your offspring that's your baby all right let's move on what did he do just quickly examine his method he had open discussions Paul did. He would go to the synagogue. He would have an open discussion. He's not there to debate. You know, like, like I brought my briefcase. I got my argument one, argument two, argument three, my rebuttal number one. I've got, I've got everything that I'm ready for. And then look for who can I debate. No. He goes. Now, he, I would just imagine, you know, they've got their format. They've got their protocol. They've got what we call the liturgy, the format of how they're going to do things. So I don't know. Maybe some towns, <laughs> maybe some towns, they are willing to let the new guy speak. Oh, he's got a nice robe. Let's let him say a few words. <laughs> or it's, nope, you're not getting anywhere near our schedule. Okay, I'll just hang out a little bit, wait and see who the Lord wants me to talk to it's just this one person, I'm good with that. But eventually, you know, Paul, the, the voice becomes multiplied. The voice becomes multiplied. However that happens. Maybe the Lord does say, all right, 
he gets into the mind of the Pharisees and says, you just deserve a little break. You've been, you've been preaching every week for years now. Just take about three weeks off. Let this one guy, let this one guy have the floor for a little bit. Oh, sure, that sounds good. <laughs> However it worked, the Lord knew what he was doing. But Paul had these discussions. He would quote Scripture, and then he would explain it. Quote and explain. Quote and explain. But it always led to Jesus being the Messiah. Jesus is Christ. I'm, uh, however long the Lord wants me to be here to build the, the case, to give the explanation, or as it said in verse 3, to open and allege. However long the Lord wants me to do that, I'll do that as, as long as the Lord wants me here. Thessalonica, it was three weeks. And then he's saying, okay, the Lord is closing this window. Shh. You've heard what you needed to hear. Will you believe and respond or will you not? That was the pattern. Put, look at the one-on-one -on -one examples of where we see Paul having his discussions. It is still the pattern. I'm going to say what the Lord tells me to say. I'm going to tell you who he is. I'm going to tell you what he's done. And then my job's done. It's up to you. Will you believe? Remember the... It was... Uh, uh, what was his name? The one that says, Almost thou persuaded me. Agrippa, almost thou persuadest me. I don't, that's fine with me. I mean, I wish you would have been persuaded, but I did my job. I said what the Lord told me to say. Now, put that same, that same context in a temple like in Thessalonica, three weeks of revivals of him telling, this is Jesus, this is what he's done. And then the Lord says, okay, it's closed. The persuaded ones, the not persuaded ones, that's what you got. So, he, so week three's done. The Lord decides, I'm not having you go back into that synagogue anymore. You've got your believers. You've got your group. This is the church that I birthed here into this city. And you know what? Paul, I got to get you out of here. I'm keeping them here. This guy named Jason comes onto the scene. Yeah, Jason. That's a King James name in case you didn't know that. He's, he's one of the believers. He's one of the ones that opened his house to Paul and Silas and the group while they were there. Now, this particular time of day, these Pharisees go to Jason's house and say, we just want to talk to Paul. We just need to have a few words with him. Jason say, sorry, he's not here right now. Well, that's not going to go well. You know, a mob always needs some flesh. A, a, a mob always needs some kind of satisfaction to say, we did our job. So they take Jason, take him out into the city. We couldn't get Paul. We couldn't get Silas. You're the closest thing we could get. And this is what we call persecution. Starts to take place. Jason, who else lives with you? Your family, your friends. Who's the close ones that you associate with? You mean the Lord would let 
persecution come in week four? I mean, we have one, two, three weeks of preaching, decision-making, hearing, responding, and now Jason's thinking, all right, the Lord is good. I've heard him. I know who he is. I've responded to his word. And immediate persecution comes. Now, he got to keep his life and the family. That was all fine. Really, it was about not getting to him. It was about getting to Paul. It was about getting to the word of Paul, getting that out of here. We just need this influence gone. So Paul decides, okay, yeah, I can't stay here any longer. It's not safe for this group, for this church. So he leaves. The church is still there. Now, I don't know, every, every town probably had a different level, a different measure of persecution. Some of it might, might have just been mocking and ridicule. Some of it, it might, have, it might have been a little bit more serious, could have been physical. But this is the pattern not that I chose or you chose or not that even that Paul chose. This is the pattern that the Lord chose. This is how I birth a church. This is what my church looks like. It's what it goes through. They get, they get Paul and Silas to leave Thessalonica. They send them right to the next town over. It's called, anybody know the name of it? Berea. Same thing happens. Paul goes into the temple, except the scripture does say they were more open to him. They listened in Berea. They, they received, I don't know, maybe some word had spread from one town over. But hey, we got the evangelist from Thessalonica t- today, and he's going to speak to us. Let's go hear him. And they're hearing, they're listening, they're believing, they're o- obeying. And then word gets to the Pharisees. Again, uh... He's over there doing it now. All right, we know where he is. Let's go. Let's get him out of here. Jesus removes Paul, Silas. They're gone. Now we got church. I don't know what you want to call that, a sister church. We got two, we got a, we got two groups of believers now. The Lord birthed them. If you don't know, the later half of Acts chapter 17, I'm not reading it today, that's the more popular of the, of the chapter because he goes to Athens. He's kind of kicked out of Thessalonica and Berea. He goes to Athens. He gets to see all those idols. You know the story. Gets to do the same thing that he's done. Let me tell you about God, the God. Let me explain to you some about him. And this is the pattern. It's how the church gets birthed every time. Now, I've just read... We've just talked about Acts, right? We have this whole other thing called the book of Thessalonians. In fact, we have two of them in the scripture, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. You know what those are? Those are checkups. Those are checkups from Paul to the group, the church that was birthed because Nothing that's born stays a baby. It's got to grow. And so he's giving letters. He's giving instructions to the, to the church that's growing. Spiritually. So now you look at the books of 
1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians or Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians or Colossians or Romans or Corinthians. And you look at those and you realize, okay, there's a story behind this. He's writing this to a group that the Lord birthed. He's writing this to a church that has a history, has a story of how they got there. The birth of that group. I'm, I'm almost done. First, let's look at just a few verses in 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5. We'll go to the last chapter of the, of the book. I just want you to see the kinds of things. Now, there's a lot, lot more than what's in these few verses. But I want you to see the kinds of things that Paul writes to this group, to this, to this body, to this church. 1 Thessalonians 5, let's look at verse 14. Now, the, the, basically the whole letter, we call this a, an epistle, right? A Pauline epistle, a letter that he wrote. The whole letter, it's got greetings in it. It's got some teachings in it. It's got some warnings in it. It's got some instruction or what we would call some exhorting. That's, that's what's in the letter that Paul wrote to the people. So 1 Thessalonians 5.14. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. Okay, stop for a second. This verse is uh, instruction, outward instruction. I'm t Paul's saying, I'm telling you, this is what I want you to do. As the church, I see action words in here. Warn. Okay, so I'm reading the letter from Paul, and it's giving me instruction. It's telling me to go warn people, like, like, kind of like Noah. You remember? That's, the whole, that's what the story of Noah is. He warned people. Warn them that are unruly. Okay, I'm going to go warn them that I see somebody, I know somebody that's unruly. I'm just going to tell them, uh, you shouldn't do that. If you don't, if you do that, things could go bad. That's a warning, right? Comfort them that are feeble-minded. Okay, so I've got to go and find somebody that I know is struggling, maybe with some thoughts some, in, their, in their mindset, their, their mental issues that I've got to deal with, and my job is to comfort them. It's the work of the church. You see that? That's the work of the church. Warn, comfort, support the weak. That's the work of the church. Be patient toward all men. It's the work of the church. Next verse. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Next verse. Rejoice evermore. That's a nice short one. I like that. It's still instruction from Paul. That's the work of the church. That's, the act, that's an action word. We call those verbs. Rejoice. A little bit. In the morning. After a good dinner. Nope. Rejoice evermore. Like from now on. From now on. 
This is your action. Rejoice, church. Rejoice. Next verse. Pray without ceasing. That's your action. Now, I really believe there's a reason why we're reading these in 1 Thessalonians 5 and we didn't read them in Acts chapter 17. Because Paul couldn't get up there at, at, you know, at, while he's trying to teach and explain Jesus and tell the story of Jesus and then say, oh, by the way, pray without ceasing, everybody. Who, who's he talking to? Yeah, rejoice evermore. Okay, about what? Oh, yeah, and, and comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Uh, me? I'm trying to decide if I know who Jesus is or not. No, I, I, I skipped over a little bit of the history, but it, he tells it in here in the earlier chapters in 1 Thessalonians. By the way, you remember how we got kicked out really fast? We couldn't, you know, I couldn't stay there with you. I sent Timothy over to you. And he kind of gave me a little bit of a rundown on how things are going with you. Brought back a great report. I'm so encouraged to hear that things are going well for you. So Paul knows who he's writing the book to, who he's writing the letter to. So you're a good church. You're a, you, you know you're a group of people that's strong and growing. You're responding as the Lord leads. Now let me just give you some further instruction. Let me give you some further exhortation. If you're not doing it already, just start to rejoice. If you're not doing it already, pray. If you're not doing it already, look for those you can help. Next verse. In everything, give thanks. If you're not doing it already, change your attitude, change your mindset to being thankful. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Next verse. Quench not the spirit. If you are doing it, see the other ones were actions to do. This one is action to not do. Church, group of people, Thessalonians, the spirit of God wants to operate among you. Just like it led me to you, just like it spoke through me to you, just like it burned in you to respond, it wants to keep operating. Just let it. Just let it. I like this verse too. It's nice and short and simple. Quench not the spirit. <coughs> Next verse. <clears throat> Despise not prophesyings. Don't get mad when you hear the word of God. Next verse. Prove all things. Test them. Try them. Make sure. Make certain. This is how you grow. This is how you learn. Hold fast to that which is good. Next verse. Only got two more verses. I'm almost done. Abstain from all appearance of evil. <laughs> You're lucky I said I'm almost done. Believe it or not, this is the verse that the Lord led me to for this whole message. Abstain from all appearance of evil. You know why? I'll tell you why. I feel like 
the Lord could lead us in a direction such as this today. Because I, just like you, I'm a member of his church. And just like you, he speaks to me. And he gives me instruction throughout my day. He'll bring his word to me. In this particular instance, he brought the word to me that says, abstain from all appearance of evil. And I'm thinking, okay, I know that that's a word from God. I know that it's in there somewhere. What was, what, what was the Lord trying to say when he had somebody write the words, abstain from all appearance of evil? This, you are my church. I birthed you. I'm doing a work in you. I want my spirit to operate in you. I also want you to abstain from... Now, okay, just so quick, just so quick, I can do this. I can do... Everybody say, he can do it. I can do this quickly. Abstain from all appearance of evil, it has two meanings. One is, if something looks evil, stay away from it. Short and sweet and easy. If it looks evil, abstain. That means stay away from, don't do. If it looks evil... If it, everybody say, if it looks evil, don't go spending an hour trying to research whether it's evil or not. Come on, somebody. If it looks evil, you got eyes. The Lord gave them to you. If it looks evil, just abstain. Don't go to the library and check out all the books on the topic. I got to learn whether it's evil or not. Does it look evil? It kind of does. All right, you learn what you're supposed to do. Now, that's the, that's the first. Don't do it if it looks evil. Stay away from it if it looks evil. The second one, and I don't have time to go into this. That which could appear evil to others. Ah. Uh, if it, if it could appear evil to others, abstain from it. The Lord is going to help you with that, I believe. Next verse, my last verse. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely. He will sanctify you. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that was Paul's wish and his desire for every member of, uh, of the church of Thessalonica. I believe it was, it was his desire and his wish for every member of every church in every city. I want them to have this word. But he couldn't just say, let the Lord sanctify you. Let the Lord preserve you. This is where we're getting. The God's, God is going to give you peace. He's going to sanctify you and wash you. This is what it's talking about. Come on, why don't you stand with me? The Lord will preserve you blameless. All of you, your spirit your soul, your body. That's Paul's prayer for the church. 
because he knows the Lord wants to keep you. He knows the Lord wants to wash you, preserve you, keep you blameless. Now, I know we've heard a lot of things today. I know that I've taken more time than I usually do. Just a little bit. I, but I believe that the, the Lord wants us to know who we are how we got here what we're supposed to do now the, the scripture says where there's no vision the people perish because if I don't know what I am supposed to do I'm going to find something else to do There is a way that seems right to a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. Now, I'm praying that the Lord today is showing us you are my church. You are my chosen one, my chosen people. I called you. I called you out of darkness. I want us to pray. Father, I thank you for choosing me. I thank you for putting me into this body. I thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. I believe in you. Come on, just express some belief for a moment. You've heard some things that maybe you've wondered in your mind about. Lord, I believe it. I believe in you. I know, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You were born and you lived a life for us and you died a death for us, Father. And then you rose. You rose from the grave. You conquered sin and death for us. I believe it today, Lord, and I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful, Jesus, that I know you, that I know who you are. I'm thankful that I know who you are. I pray, Lord, that you would give us direction as your church. I pray, Lord, that you would give us vision as your church. I pray, Lord, that we would be led in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, I pray that you would use every individual that's here right now. God, we've already seen and we've heard such a pattern that says all we have to do is open our mouth and speak. All we have to do, God, is be willing to participate in that discussion about you. Share with others what we know about you what you've done for us God who you've been for us all that you've done for us father I'm thankful for it Jesus and I'm willing to share it God I'm willing to share it with others because I see in the pattern of your word how you would birth a new believer how you would lead and orchestrate my words our words to impact the life of another believer. 
God, it's you that births every church. It's you that births every new soul, every new convert. Just as it says, God, a man must be born again. Jesus, it's you that gives the birth. You are the originator. You are the author. You are the giver of life. You're the giver of a new birth. Father, I'm thankful for it today. I'm thankful for it today. Hallelujah. Why don't we do what the book says and rejoice a little bit? Come on, let's rejoice a little bit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm rejoicing evermore as the Scripture says. God, I'm obeying the commandment of the Word of God to rejoice, to praise, to enter prayer. Hallelujah. I'm thankful, Lord. I'm thankful, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, respond to the Spirit of God right now. Come on, He's talking to you right now. Respond to it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm rejoicing in You. Lord, I'm rejoicing in You. You are my hope, Father. You are my Savior, Lord Jesus. You are my healer. You are my King. You are my God. You are all in all. Everything that I have, it came from You. Everything that I own, it belongs to You. Come on, respond to the Lord right now. He's your Father. Respond to the Lord right now. Come on, if you feel like celebrating, then celebrate. If you feel like praying, then pray. If you feel like rejoicing, then rejoice. If you feel like repenting, then repent. Come on, you need to respond right now. If you feel like you need to surrender, you need to surrender. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm encouraging you, step out from your seat. Come on, it's an option. It's an opportunity to respond. This open, this front is open. These altars are open. Come on, let's turn this sanctuary into an altar before the Lord. We respond to you, Father. We respond to you, Jesus.
Let it flow out. Just let him take it over. We believe, Jesus. We are believers today, God. We believe your word is true. Oh, just let it go. Let it go. I give myself to you, Father. Oh, I surrender to you, Jesus. I can't do this by myself. I can't lean on my understanding. I need you. I long for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. Jesus. I give it to you, Jesus. I give it to you, Lord. I give it to you. I let you handle it, God. I let you take it, Jesus. Take it from my hands, God. Take it from my heart, Jesus. Take it from my mind, God. We are your church. We are your people, God. Our faith is in you, Jesus. Take it, God. Oh, my life, Lord. My home, Jesus. My relationships, God. My job, Jesus. Take it. Take it, God. Take it. Take it, God. Oh, I need you, Jesus. I pray healing today, God. I pray deliverance today, Jesus. I pray the flow of the Holy Ghost, God. Oh, Yamaha Hosho Toyo Yada Haya. Oh, 